Come, Holy Spirit, and just be present with us yet again as we uh, think on, meditate on Christ the King. We pray that you would give us more and more of a vision of what it looks like to live under his kingship. And that right now the kingdom would come um, and just our midst be with us, transform us, make us more like Jesus, that we would live to your glory in this world in his name. Amen. Amen. Mike's sermon this past Sunday had two tasks, he said. I don't know where this baseball analogy started, but uh, Gary and I were looking at each other saying, that was just a solid Mike Sermon. It always is. That was at least a double, maybe a triple. It was very good. He had two tasks. First, to celebrate Christ the King, this feast of the church where we end our liturgical year. And he he did a great job of just giving us a vision of Christ. I mean, who he is, uh, the preeminence of the Father, the radiance of his light, the King of the whole universe. And then secondly, his, his second task was to consider if we believe that, if we believe that Christ is king, if that's really true, what are the implications of that for our lives? And he told a very uh, a great personal testimony story of him going from being a churchgoer to a disciple. This idea that part of what it means to recognize Christ as king is that um, we realize that a disciple is someone who takes their faith and grows it makes an intentional effort to go into the mystery of the gospel, life with God deeper and deeper, not merely showing up on a Sunday or two. This afternoon, I just have one simple task. I want to ask the question, answer the question, hopefully, why is Christ the King, why is Christ being King, good news for us? Why is it good news for me? Now, first, that assumes, right, the question assumes that it is good news, And I think it is good news for believers, for those who, as Mike would say, have chosen to make Christ their king, that Christ's kingship is good news for those who have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, but for those who refuse to accept it, I believe Christ's kingship, the message of it, the idea of it, can be a terror. So the first question is, it must be, it always is, is Christ my king? Is that true for me? It's only when we've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior does his kingship become good news for us. So, I'm assuming that we're here on a uh, Wednesday, right? You don't really do this if you're merely a churchgoer. This is discipleship time, it seems to me. Why is that good news for us, Christ's kingship? I think one answer comes from our psalm. And that is that in the end, because of Christ's kingship, chaos does not win. Let's look briefly at this psalm together. You can turn there if you want to in your Book of Common Prayer. It's page 392, Psalm 93. The Lord is king and has put on glorious apparel. The Lord has put on his apparel, girded himself with strength. It begins with a mere statement of fact, a brute reality of the way things are. See, uh, there's a sense in which the question, is Christ king for me, uh, it doesn't really matter. Right? Because it doesn't change the reality. Whether or not he is king for you personally makes no difference because he is really the king of the universe. It doesn't change the reality of the situation. What does change is the question of whether or not we take that reality and conform our lives to it or we refuse to do so. The question of Christ's kingship is not an open debate. It is a fact. What changes is our lives when we submit to it. The Lord is 
king, period. And this may be overreading the psalm a bit. I uh, admit that on the front end. But this idea of putting on glorious apparel, putting on apparel, girding himself with strength. If we're talking about the eternal kingship of God, right? This is something that doesn't change if it's eternal. So what's going on here? This language of putting something on implies a change. Girding himself with strength implies some kind of change. I think, and again, this might be overreading, but I think this is resurrection. I think this is the incarnational reality of Jesus, the God from God, light from light, true God from true God's Son, becoming king of the universe in a new and unique way through his incarnation death, and resurrection. But then it jumps backwards, Psalm, two, uh, Psalm 93 does, verse 2. He has made the round world so sure that it cannot be moved. This is a creation idea, that the king of the universe is also the creator of the universe, the reason for its existence, and he made it in a particular way. That is, he made it under his dominion, under his rule and reign. It cannot be moved. Nothing can ultimately destabilize God's reign and rule over this world. And then it returns to this idea, the eternality of God's kingdom. Ever since the world began, your throne has been established. You, the King Christ, the eternal Son, you are from everlasting. But then verse 4 acknowledges a reality that we all feel. Acknowledges the reality of a life in a broken, sinful chaotic world where the stability of the kingdom doesn't always feel like a reality. The floods have risen, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods have lifted up their waves. There are two images going on here. One of creation. In the beginning, God made the world, but the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. It was a watery chaos. And in ancient ideology, an ancient idea, water was the symbol of chaos. Why? Because you die there. Ships crash. They sink. If you go out too far into the ocean, you personally die. Land is a lot safer. The sea, rivers, rushing waters became an image in the ancient world of destructive forces, of chaos. And yet in the creation account of Christians, of the Jews, God is seen as ordering the universe from the chaos without so much as having to lift a finger, just speak a word. All these other creation accounts we see from other comparative religions always have the primary God, because it's always a pantheon. The primary God does some kind of battle, some kind of battle with a chaos monster that he has to defeat, he has to struggle against for order to come out of chaos. But in the creation account that Genesis gives us, God simply speaks order into chaos. This means, I think, for us that whatever the chaos in our lives, think of something chaotic, a home that houses a toddler or seven, six. I was including you. I'm just kidding. Excuse me. (laughs) My home. Cancer. A diagnosis that we can't control. Family conflict. Whatever seeks to take us and divide us, seeks to take us and destroy us, seeks to bring chaos where there should be order. The psalm acknowledges that the floods, the waters, the chaos, it rises up. 
It cries out. It tries to destroy, to disrupt, to destabilize that solid ground on which the world is supposed to stand. There's something in our lives, I'm sure, that is causing us a felt reality of chaos. But then verse 5. Mightier than the sound of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord who dwells on high is mightier. Here is the good news, that Christ the King is more powerful than the forces of chaos. Not just one of them or two of them, but all of them. As big or as small as the chaos we might be facing in our lives is, it is all subject to under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, and it will be conquered. That's where I think the psalm ends, on a dual note. Your testimonies, O Lord, are very sure. Holiness adorns your house forever. God's word, this this speaking revelation that he's given us in Scripture, is just as stable as he is. That God has spoken into the world, given us a revelation of himself, and we can continue to come to it and discover more and more of who he is, more and more of who we are, more and more of what our lives can and should be. And then holiness endures forever. That is, those things that are ordered after God's will, those things that that take the reality as it is, God as he is, Christ who he is, and the fact of his reign, and orders their lives, people that order their lives according to that reality, they endure forever. We are made holy by Christ's work on the cross. We will endure into eternity where all chaos, all chaos, will be put outside the kingdom and we will enjoy perfect peace and wholeness forever. We enter this coming Sunday into Advent 1, the season of Advent, with its themes of Christ's first and second comings, of final judgment and eternal realities, and of conforming our lives thereunto. May it be for us a time of growing in our understanding of the idea, the fact that Christ's kingship, his first coming and his second coming, final judgment and eternity, the call to conform our lives thereunto, it is all for us. Good news. Amen.